right, let's see. Should we introduce ourselves? Yes. My name is Kevin Richardson. This is? I'm Emily Richardson. And um, I work for OneLink International. And you work for who? And I'm the director of Christian Challenge at the University of Michigan and Eastern Michigan University and Washtenaw Community College. Okay. And we understand that we're now in the same conference with, well, USC, right? But we're here to say... And I want you to know, I was wearing it before the talk. So I didn't go put this on. <laughs> you know, I'm becoming all things to all people. Right. That I might save some. Okay, we're going to start. We're going to start off with just a little skit. All right. We're going to take you back in time. Well, actually, before probably all of you were born. Yes. Um, back when we were in college. Okay. In fact, we were at this. The skit's going to take place at a challenge me weekly meeting. You, you do those, right? On Thursday night, we went to one. So uh, we, you want to go down here and yeah, do this yeah. real quick? Okay. So this is the begin before the meeting starts, right? You know how the, before the meeting starts, everybody's kind of hanging out. Hey, hey, hey Emily. Say, can, yeah, yeah, I need can, to talk to you after the meeting, okay? Okay, all, all right, right, all right, sweet. okay. What does he want to talk to me about? He's a BTO, big time operator. I'm a TWO, teeny weeny operator. What does he want to talk to? Oh, maybe I've done something and he wants to rebuke me. Who knows? Okay. Okay, now, the meeting happens, you know, the worship and the talk, and then the meeting ends, right? And oh. so what happens after the meeting? People hey, talking Brenda, around. Hey, Brenda, how are you? Oh, how are you guys doing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's cool. Oh, how are you guys doing? Oh, good. Hey, Emily. Yeah. Hey, how hey, are you uh, doing? Emily. Oh, Emily. Louise, how are you doing? Hey, Emily. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Say, Kevin. Kevin. Uh, I oh, want to know, uh, uh, would you be willing to go out on a date? With who? <laughs> True story. True story. And I wasn't being snarky. I'm not that smart. Don't step on her. Okay. Okay, so, you know, humble beginnings, right? <laughs> All right, so let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. I, I pray that you would help us to understand your thoughts in this whole area of relationships and, and dating. Uh, and we ask that you would uh, just give Emily and I the words to say, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so what does the Bible say about dating courtship, and knowing God's will. Well, in the book of Genesis, there's a guy named Abraham. you probably heard of him. And he has a son named Isaac. And Abraham thinks, you know, Isaac, it's about time for him to have a wife. So I'm going to send my servant off to my relatives, because I don't want to marry any of these Canaanites here. I'm going to send him back home to the home place, and he's going to find a wife for my son, Isaac. So the servant goes back and he prays, Lord, uh, the first woman that I approach and ask uh, for a drink of water and she offers me water and then waters my camels, I know that's going to be her. And so he does and it happens. And he goes, that's it. And so he takes a gold nose ring and gold bracelets. He puts that nose ring in her nose, gives her the gold bracelets, and bam, they get married. Now, in the book of Ruth, another story about dating, courtship, 
from the Bible's perspective. We have Ruth, a young widow. Her mother-in-law really wants there to be some grandchildren. Grandchildren are wonderful. Have them first. Then, uh, so she says, put on your nicest dress, put on perfume. And when all the men are drunk on the threshing floor, go up to this guy, uh, Boaz, and uh, lay down at his feet. And this is, this is how courtship is done in the Bible. Now, we ask ourselves, what does the Bible have to say about dating? Nothing. Dating is a Western construct. It's, so if you don't have a herd of camels and a gold nose ring, and you don't have a threshing floor, you're out of luck. You're out of luck. Or maybe not. So, uh, but sometimes we try to impose uh, this Western construct and we try to make something biblical out of something that's not there. But there are principles that we can come up with from Scripture that can guide our lives and shape the attitudes we have towards singleness and marriage and suffering. So before you ever start thinking about dating, marriage, whatever, you want to come up with a theology, a sound biblical theology of singleness and marriage and suffering. Otherwise, we'll just do whatever the world is doing and baptize it because we're doing it with a Christian. And so oftentimes the only difference between what we see in relationships between uh, Christians and non-Christians is no sex and rarely that's even the case because we've so compromised, we've so followed because we haven't come up with a biblical theology of uh, singleness, dating, uh, singleness, uh, marriage, and uh, suffering. So I've given out a couple of gifts. Oh, yeah. Alex, yeah. you have a gift. Don't open it yet, but... So my grandboys, I've got three of them, and they love Lego. Well, the two older ones love Legos. The other one's mother is really smart. She doesn't want to pick up Legos, so she hasn't entered that realm yet. They love Legos. And the only thing that's really important when you're gifting someone Lego sets, they have to be good Lego sets. There's a difference. They're not the same, but they're good. Were you a Lego man? Our boys were Lego men. Yeah, we, we got the Lego thing going on. But what do you do with a gift? When, when you get a gift, what do you do with it? You open it. What else do you do with it? You use it. What else do you do with it? You say thank you. What else do you do with it? Not a good idea. Okay, you show it to your friends. You share it with your friends. You cherish it. This is a gift. You don't stick it in the back of your closet and wait till the next birthday or Christmas comes to see if you're going to get a better one. That's not what you do with a gift. Okay, so Alex, I want you to open your gift. Okay, what's he got? What's he got? Don't take the stuffing out of it. Just open your gift. And what does it say? He got the gift of singleness. <laughs> Let's look at 1 Corinthians 7, verses 32 through 35. 
1 Corinthians 7, verses 32 through 35. Now, you know, sometimes there's a uh, Christian, uh, a group of Christians that in their theology, they have this kind of uh, theology of there's heaven, and then there's this kind of waiting place called purgatory. And a lot of us, when it comes to singleness and marriage and our theology of those, we would really fit into that category really well. Because we see singleness as a kind of purgatory waiting to get to the heaven of marriage. And nothing could be further from the truth uh, according to Scripture. So uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 32-35 says... I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned, it's concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit, but a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. The gift of singleness is a time for uh, opportunities, undivided devotion to the Lord. This is a time to capitalize on opportunities that you have as a single person. It's time, a time in our lives when we can reflect to the world around us the sufficiency of the grace of God, the fullness of an intimate relationship with Him. Uh, if you're single, you have the gift of singleness. Let that sink in. If you are dating someone, you have the gift of singleness. If you are engaged, you have the gift of singleness. You are single, regardless of what your status says on social media or whatever. If you are not married, you have the gift of singleness. Cherish it. Treasure it. Use it. Milk it for all it's worth. It's so so incredibly valuable. You know, the women I worked with, I was a journeyman in Nigeria before Kevin and I were married. The women I worked with, uh, most of them were single. They were milking the gift of singleness for all it was worth. Uh, they weren't looking for another gift. Did they hope for? Did they desire? Marriage in their lives, in the future? Yes, absolutely. One of them, she didn't, and then when she fully submitted herself to the Lord, God gave her a husband. She said, that's kind of backward. This is weird. What am I doing? But that, yes, those things, those two things can coexist. Uh, using singleness for all it's worth and a desire for the gift of marriage. Um, marriage is a gift. Where's Jessica? You have a gift, Jessica? Please. Yeah, you can open it. Okay. 
So this famous, uh, don't take that out yet. Don't take it. Don't take don't the stuffing out. out. Don't take some. <laughs> okay, Ephesians five, famous, uh, famous passage. Ephesians five, um, thirty-two. Uh, Paul's talking about how. Uh, I mean, the whole uh, text of Ephesians is about how we should live. Ephesians five thirty-two says. This is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. The purpose of marriage is to display to the world around us Christ's relationship with the church, his sacrificial love for the church. It's a gift. Do you know how many people who are married are trying to get rid of the gift of single, the gift of marriage? A lot of them. Like 25% of Christian marriages are trying to exchange the gift of marriage. Let that sink in. That's kind of scary. So take out the stuffing out of your cups and what's in the bottom? Suffering and joy. What's in the bottom of yours, Jessica? Joy. Suffering and joy. There's great joy in both of these gifts. There's great suffering. Elizabeth Elliott defined suffering as Having something you don't want or wanting something you don't have. And there's both of those. Um, for many of you, singleness is a temporary gift. For either Kevin or myself, marriage is a temporary gift, unless we're both killed in a car accident at the same time. One of us is going to be single. We're going to have the gift of singleness again. These are temporary gifts and we need to hold that perspective okay so what about this whole thing of dating relationships and so forth well i think there's a, a couple things to keep in mind the first is we should always pursue god and not a mate pursue god and not a mate but oftentimes we get those two turned around we pursue a mate and then want God's stamp of approval on our pursuit. But it's pursue God, not a mate. Um, and, you know, once you do this, then uh, usually if you're pursuing God and not a mate, then he will make it clear if there's somebody you should deepen a relationship with and begin to... Uh, move in the direction that maybe someday you might get married. But this is best done in the context of community. Not, you know, you know one of the worst places to, to get to know somebody and figure out, is this really somebody I should marry? Is a date. That's like the worst place. Because it's artificial. Everybody's on their best behavior. It's for a short amount of time. You know what's a much better place to see what somebody is like? Is like going on a one-link trip. Because <laughs> you spend several weeks with somebody that is sleep-deprived, jet-lagged, hadn't had a shower in three days, and you'll find out who this real person is. You keep going. No, you said everything you're going to... Oh, everything I needed to know about Kevin, I observed before we ever went on a date. Everything. He was the one who was always offering to fix the girls' cars. He was fixing 
things that broke on retreats, uh, his servant heart, his heart for the world. The whole thing with that little skit, the reason when he said, would you like to go out on a date? The reason I said with who was because Kevin was always reaching out to the guys on the fringe. So I thought, well, he'll go with my roommate because I knew she liked him. That's kind of weird, isn't it? And, uh, <laughs> and he's just asking if, if one of my guys who are out on the fringe asked you to go out on a date, would you do it? He's kind of just wingmanning for them or whatever you call that. And uh, so that's why I said with who. It wasn't a snarky comment. It was honest because I saw his heart for people who weren't included. And so like Emily and I, our relationship really developed because we both really were interested in spiritual things. And so we'd go to a retreat like this. And then on the drive home, we'd want to talk about it. Oh, you know, the speaker said this. What do you think about that? And I knew she always was very interested in those topics as well as I was. And so we just gravitated toward each other because of that same interest in spiritual things. Okay. Um, here are a few things that I think the Lord does care about in terms of how we approach relationships uh, with the opposite sex. One is that he desires holiness. Uh, if you have a Bible, take out and look up 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16. And if somebody could read that when you get that. 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16. Somebody get that? Go ahead and read it. So just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do, right? God desires us to be holy. What, what does holiness mean? Set apart? Okay. Sacred? Pure? This is what God desires. So in a, any kind of a relationship, I know when Emily and I finally kind of declared our love to each other, the first conversation we had after declaring our love for each other is these are the boundaries we feel like we should have, physical boundaries. And we decided that anything uh, above the knees and below the neck was out of bounds. And then even later, we were even more restrictive than that. But we set those boundaries right at the beginning of a relationship and then never had a problem violating them after that because we both knew what they were and we both agreed on it. Now, and we were living on separate continents well, for most of too. our relationship. That helps. <laughs> but when we, when we did it up in the, in did end up on the same continent when we were engaged, you know, there was even a few times that, uh, well, another thing we did is I always set a curfew. Uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to have her back to her place by 11 p.m. at night because usually anything after 11 isn't all that productive. Um, and so, and people's resistance is down to temptation. So I'll just have her home 11 every night. Uh, and there was a few nights, uh, and this is after a gauge when I took her back. Um, I thought, you know, being with her tonight, I am pretty excited about being with her. And I think the best thing to do 
instead of kissing her tonight, I'm just going to shake her hand goodnight. And I thought that's going to be plenty. Air shake, no touch. <laughs> that would not be good. Uh, Too second, dangerous. Second thing God cares about in these relationships is, is integrity. Uh, Proverbs 12.22. Somebody want to look that up? Proverbs 12.22. And we got it? Proverbs 12.22. Fine lips are an abomination to the Lord. Those who deal faithfully are his The Lord desires us to live faithfully, to be honest. And so uh, integrity is being truthful, that your actions and your words are in line with each other that you're faithful and trustworthy, being the same person regardless of the situation or the people you're with, um, not acting like you're married when you're still single. You ever seen that? In the meetings. You're not sure if it's a two-headed monster or what. Uh, too much PDA, right? Um, they're not married yet. And not acting like you're single when you're married. That happens too. All right. Another is respect. Uh, look up Proverbs 31, verse 10, and verse 23. Proverbs 31, verse 10, and verse 23. Proverbs 31. Okay, who can find a wife, uh, who can find, let's see. A wife of noble character. That's, I, I memorized that's... different versions. Who can find a wife of noble character? She's worth far more than rubies, okay? And then uh, verse um, 23. The husband is known from the gates, and he sits among the elders of the wife. Okay, and I think it says something about uh, he's respected at the gates, mm -hmm. at least in translation I memorized. So, you want to have a respect in your relationship. And so, that means not making jokes at your uh, significant other's expense, right? And I see this happen all the time. Uh, oh, well, we're just uh, teasing each other. Uh, or sarcasm. Um, but greet them with courtesy and honor and respect. You know, in, Kevin and I have been married for 39 years. He has never had a joke at my expense. A lot of people do that for a laugh in a talk or in a um, just a casual setting. No, oh, she did this, yada, ha, ha, ha. He has never, ever done that. You know, sarcasm another, is just a pretty name for scarcasm. Something to think about. And then uh, another thing in relationships is, that's important is to be live unselfishly. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Now, I bet somebody's got that memorized. Somebody got that memorized? Philippians 2, 3, and 4? Alex. Go for it. Yes, consider others better than yourselves. You don't want to marry a needy person that is always demanding something from you, right? You want to marry 
somebody who is generous and giving. And you want to be that kind of person. You don't want to be the needy person either. Um, looking out for others' interests. Okay. So um, what about, what is these roles in marriage? What are they supposed to look like? So earlier I alluded to Ephesians 5. And uh, there's this infamous passage that people like to fight about and have been arguing about for ever since Paul wrote it. And what's so funny is it's part of a letter. It's not an entity in and of itself. It's part of a letter to the church at Ephesus on how to be united, how to be mature, how to live under the rulership and out of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That's the context of any of Paul's teaching about relationships that comes at the end of the book. And that's really, really important because when we take a couple verses out of God's word and build a whole theology about around it, it's really dangerous. It's very dangerous. And, uh, and so you want to you always want to, when you're looking at scripture, you always want to do uh, what's the, what is the context? What's the historical setting where this was uh, written? Who was it written to? What are the timeless truths that are here? And what are the practical applications um, to us today? So uh, when it comes to relationships between husbands and wives, um, it's so interesting because Paul does something that in, uh, in that day, everybody would have gone, <gasps> he spoke directly to women. Never happened. Wouldn't have ever happened. He spoke directly to women. And he said, submit to your husbands out of, well, earlier he said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and that there would be a, um, a mutual unselfishness in relationships that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, so wives, this is what happened at the fall in Genesis 3, 16-ish, I think. Um, we won't go there right now, but uh, God's talking about the curse, and he says to the woman, your desire will be to control your husband. So Paul says, if you're going to be able to overcome and have self-control over this natural bent to control your husband, what you need to do is defer and respect because there's an enemy of your soul called control. And it's going to try to weasel its way in and dishonor the Lord in your marriage. And in the same passage, Paul says to the men, says, guys, I know where you're going to struggle. Selfishness. Selfishness. It's going to be me first. That's where you're going to have your battle. So what I want you to do is I want you to lay your life down for your wife, just like I laid my life down for the church. That is what you need to do, guys. Okay. So if you want that passage in a nutshell, real simple, don't be a selfish pig. <laughs> All right, so um, we mentioned God's will. So how do I know if this is a person 
that I would want to marry? How do I know that this is God's will? All right? So we're going to do this real quick so we can get to questions. I got five things I want to touch on. All right? First one, pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray always. Pray. Ask, talk to God about it. Maybe there's somebody you've met, somebody in the group, you've gotten to know, and you, and you think, well, I, I kind of like them. You know, they, they have a heart for the Lord, and you know, they're kind of cute. And uh, Lord, what do you think about this? Include the Lord in your thoughts on this. So pray. Second, seek the Lord. Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Okay, Lord. What, what is your thoughts? What is your will on this? Guide me in this. Thirdly, does it align with God's word? You know, is this a person that's living godly? I know uh, when I was thinking about who should I marry, I realized as I spent some time praying about it and reading the scriptures, I realized there were three things that were really important to me. And I've heard of people having these long lists. You know, this is, I got this 20, these 20 things I want to have in a spouse. Well, I just had three things. One is that she would be a fanatic for Jesus. Fanatic for Jesus. And the way I put it that way, because I knew there was Christians out there, they were just kind of putting in their time, but they weren't really pursuing God. I wanted somebody that was really pursuing God. So I said, fanatic for Jesus. Second, I thought God was calling me to the mission field. So I knew not everybody would be excited about going and living in grass hut. And so I thought, Okay, another character quality I'm looking for is somebody who's willing to go anywhere for the cause of Christ. The third thing I was looking for was that Proverbs 31.10, a wife of noble character. So those are my three things. A fanatic for Jesus, somebody willing to go anywhere for the cause of Christ, and somebody of noble character. And guess what? I found one. But that really narrows it down. It does, because Makes originally I thought of every woman I knew at that time, uh, and there was only five that met, met that criteria, those three things. Five, five out of about 100 or so. And so, okay, I'll be honest, being the kind of logical person I am, I started talking to all five people to see kind of where they were at, see if there was any, you know, availability here, you know? Even if some of those five were roommates. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> Character development. But they, they tended to eliminate themselves, and I didn't have to eliminate them. They, they eliminated themselves. Number four, seek godly counsel. You know, Proverbs 15, 22, you know, many, with many advisors, plans succeed. The plan, uh, ah. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, Thank you. they succeed. Scripture memory, right. Um, so anyway, godly counsel. Now, this doesn't mean that you poll your peers. That's not godly counsel. That's older, more experienced people who have been down the road a ways that love God. And... When I became interested in Emily and was thinking about marrying her, I sought the counsel of a couple of different people that I really trusted who are many years ahead of me spiritually, and they were all 100% in. They thought, oh, Emily's a great gal. She would be a wise choice. There was no, never any red flags at all from anybody 
who I spiritually looked up to. Then number five, peace. Peace. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I had a real peace in praying about, Lord, is this the person you want me to marry? Okay, final thought, and then we're going to get to questions. If you struggle with loneliness, you struggle with lust, guess what? Getting married won't solve those problems. They won't solve those problems. There's a lot of married people who are very lonely. There's a lot of married people who struggle with lust. Um, work on those problems while you're single so that you don't bring that baggage into your marriage. Because that really makes marriage rough when you got baggage like that that you're dragging into your marriage. So work on it before you get married. All right, let's collect those cards and we'll answer them. So somebody want to help gather them together? And um, <clears throat> if you think of a question while we're answering questions, just pass it down to several different people and they'll hand it to us and then we won't know whose question it is. <laughs> Sometimes this subject matter makes it difficult to, you know. Go ahead and just give me some while you're yeah. collecting. So we can get Alex, started. do you have some? We'll just take some yeah. while. And right, we'll just start working collecting. on them. Okay. okay. How do I know if I should continue my relationship or how do I know if my relationship is coming from God? Oh, that's a good one. That seek godly counsel. Yeah. That's a good one. Absolutely. Are you uh, another thing is are you are there patterns in your relationship that are unhealthy? Yeah. Like uh maintaining physical purity boundaries are unhealthy. Uh, the person you're recognizing neediness, like, oh, if you really cared about me, you wouldn't even consider going on a one-link trip and leaving me behind. Mm. Yeah, Maybe. or, and, and does the person uh, inspire you to go more with God, right? Like, you see them, oh, they're always having a quiet time every morning. Man, maybe I should do that. You know, their, their walk with God is inspiring your walk with God. And if, if, you see, if you see red flags, don't just say, well, I'll just wait it out. Maybe they'll grow up. Let them grow up separate from you. Yeah. And here's a good follow-up. How do I know if I should give someone another chance after they hurt me? So... Two things. One, we're all going to hurt each other. That's just going to happen. I've hurt Emily. She's hurt me. It's going to happen. The question I think that you should really be asking is, what is their character? What is their character? You know, is their character such that the reason I'm being hurt is because maybe they have a tendency to lie and they're a liar, or maybe they're flirting with somebody else. Remember back my number three thing, noble character? Obviously, that person doesn't have a noble character, so they wouldn't be on my list. So look at the character. Yes, we're going to hurt each other occasionally, but if it's a character issue, I would... And here's where I think people make mistakes. They think, well, I'll help them and I'll help them overcome that character flaw. That, that flaw. That's a bad idea. 
Because you want to marry actual, not potential. Marry actual, not potential. Okay, how can our relationship be a blessing to others? Oh, so many ways. When Kevin and I uh, first got married, I had a bunch of single friends from nursing school who lived around us. <laughs> and they had two things, <laughs> television and a VCR. And we had really cool speakers. And this was back when you got movies from Blockbuster store, not Netflix. That wasn't a thing yet. And so we would call them up. And one would bring her TV. Another would bring her uh, VCR. And we would hook it up to our speakers. And we'd go get a movie. And we would do stuff together. And uh, we tried to have, uh, like, this is how people often do relationships. Closed system. Your relationship should be like this open system. You're welcoming people into this community that is your relationship. So you, there are things, there are interests that Kevin has, that my friends have, there are interests that I have, that his friends have. And so we're a blessing to one another's friends as we invite them into the community that is the two of us. We are a community. And uh, when we're in a meeting or something, we don't have to be this two-headed monster. We can, we can be a blessing. We can reach out to other people and be a blessing to them. It's also setting one another free mm. to, uh, where Kevin's free to go on a trip around the world and I'm not sitting at home pining away. I'm free to go out and do things. Um, and we really, really like doing things together. Like we really like flying on planes together because we've said goodbye at airports a lot in our relationship. But, uh, but there's also not this thing of we have to always be together. Okay, how do you even begin dating? Great question. So remember my one link trip? So I think the best, <laughs> so I think the best uh, way that you start a relationship is in the context of community. So say maybe at challenge here. So you're going to challenge meetings and getting to know each other. You're doing uh, ministry together, uh, things of that nature. And you get to know them. You get to know their character. And you think, I kind of enjoy this person. In fact, I remember another time. This was before Emily and I were dating or anything. We're just friends. But uh, I, was, I went through a season of my life where I was really trying to make some inroads in scripture memory. So I was memorizing a new passage every day and reviewing 55 verses every day. And so uh, we were at a retreat, and I hadn't gotten to him, and it was getting late at night, and I, I finally thought, i got to get this done. It was before 11 o'clock. Before 11 o'clock. But there was a few of us just sitting around <coughs> after the, the message, and I said, hey, is anybody, would anybody here be willing to review me on my verses? And she volunteered. She said, well, I'll do it. And so she reviewed me on my verses, and... You know, it's amazing what can happen when that happens. <laughs> Scripture memory, finding wives since 19... whatever. <laughs> How can you tell if somebody is right for you? Oh. Well, my three, obviously, <laughs> they, have to cut, they had to make the three point, you know, that eliminated 95% of them right there, so I was down to five. I think another thing is, does being in this person's presence give you 
a sense of joy, give you a sense of, uh, you know, so Kevin paid me an incredibly high compliment. Um, he said, Emily, you are like an old comfortable shirt. <laughs> and I love, I love the women's face and some of your faces are like, oh my what goodness. What was that? What was that? You know what? What do you do with an old comfortable shirt? You keep it forever. Even after you don't wear it, you wear it all the, do you have your go-to shirt or hoodie or something? We all have it. That's what, I mean, that's what I want in someone I'm going to spend my life with. Is this my old comfortable shirt? Because I'd rather be that than a tuxedo that hangs in the closet. You know, and one of the things that, uh, again, I mentioned is I just I always enjoyed talking to Emily. I enjoyed our conversations. We always like to talk about theology and what we're learning in Scripture. And you know what? This, we're all adults here, right? You know, the amount of time you're going to spend having sex and marriage compared to the amount of time you're talking is minuscule. And so if you don't enjoy con talking with the person you're going to marry, you're going to have a lot of the time in your marriage that's not going to be fun. And so it needs to be somebody that you enjoy being with and having conversation with and just being around, right? And so we would always, and even today, we're sitting around the table, we're talking theology, you know? What did you learn from the scripture? What did you hear in this message? We're still doing that. 39 years later, we're still doing that and still enjoying it. I think another thing is, is this the person, is this someone that I could walk through seasons of deep suffering with mm, and yeah. heartache? Yeah. Or is this somebody who's there for the good times, but has a lot of anger issues, has a lot of bitterness issues. And uh, I don't know that if, if there was real heartbreak in our lives, uh, that this person would walk with me through that. Yeah, a lot of marriages fall apart when you get through getting tough stuff. And from what I've seen, having lived for a while now, is we're all going to experience tough stuff. It's going to happen. Uh, this is a great question. Is it okay that I'm an adult and haven't dated yet? Is there a timeline? Yes, it's okay that you haven't dated yet. Um, and there, no, there's no timeline. Um, I got married when I was 27. Okay. And not a moment too late because I was so immature <laughs> before then, it would have been a disaster. And so, and there was things I could do while I was single. Like I said, I got to go as a journeyman and live in West Africa, you know, do all kinds of ministry things. Uh, so I don't regret that I didn't get married until I was 27. I think uh, there's a there's a couple things. One is. Make sure you're not dating because of, that you're not, okay, so you're not, all these double negatives. Um, fear is a big reason why people don't make themselves vulnerable to relationships. So you want to make sure that you're not uh, being controlled by fear. Fear is a wicked, wicked thing. Um, so you want to, Think about that. But like my supervisor, when I was a journeyman, 
Um, she, she was the one who felt like God had given her the gift of lifelong singleness. And she was so happy. She was content. She was fulfilling the Great Commission. She was doing all the things. And then God gave her this overwhelming desire to be married to a specific person who had pursued her. And she had said, I don't think so earlier. And uh, so you want to be open. If you're single, you want to be open to God giving you the gift of marriage, but not uh, not feeling like you're you're just circling the airport and circling in a constant circling for something better. I guess that's uh. the other thing is matrimony doesn't equal maturity. In the church, we do that. We have people who are deeply, deeply spiritual, their maturity is like whew, light years ahead of mine, and they've never been married. And sometimes in the church, we confer immediate maturity on people who, they're just married. Marriage doesn't, the gift of marriage doesn't confer maturity. How can we practice leading slash submitting in our dating relationship? Remember that Ephesians passage? Well, at the beginning of that passage, oftentimes it gets left out in marriage ceremonies, I've noticed. They, they, they start the verse after, but the verse before it says, submit to one another, right? There is a mutual submission that happens in, in, in relationships and in marriage. Um, I submit to Emily, she submits to me. It depends on the context. It depends on... What's going on? There are some areas she's strong in and I'm weak in, and there's areas I'm strong in and she's weak in. And so oftentimes we defer to one another to what their strengths are. And we often uh, discuss, you know, different things. Uh, and so, I mean, we could go spend a lot of time on the whole, you know, complementarian versus egalitarian, all that business. I don't even like those terms. I, I usually hate those kind of terms because they put you in boxes that I often don't fit in. Uh, I noticed Jesus didn't fit in many boxes either, by the way. Um, what's the balance between ministry and stewarding the relationship God has given you, time-wise, in the context of dating? Great oh, question. Really Great question. question. So in our ministry over the years, I've noticed couples who, when they start dating, they become a thing, and it's just the two of them always together. And in a way, they stop doing ministry. They stop inviting people into their lives because they're so focused on one another. And then I've had other people in our, in our ministry start dating each other, and they continue to invite people into their lives. They continue to have ministry. And oftentimes, people don't even know they're dating in a group setting because they're not hanging on each other. They're out talking to other people. But they have a degree of uh, maturity, maturity and respect. They don't need to be doing that. They know they care about this person. They know the person cares about them. They don't have to be constantly checking to see if that's still the case or clinging to them. Your dating relationship can become a small click, like a two-person click. Closed system, you're connected, everybody else keep out. What God desires for healthy community is that we're connected for the sake of the people who aren't here yet. Okay? So you're... Your relationship again is a is a microcosm of your greater 
uh, community and context. And guess what? Someday, uh, if you do get married and have kids, you're not going to have a lot of alone time. I'm just saying. So you better get used to people being in the context of your relationship. Uh, what if God wants me to be single for my whole life, but I don't want to be single? What should I do? Psalm 62 talks about pouring out your heart to the Lord, O people, for God is our refuge. And so one thing is, you don't know that. You, 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 may, you may have a deep sense that, so I wonder if singleness, if lifelong singleness is what I'm going to experience. But you don't know that for sure. Um, so that's, that's one thing. You don't ever want to put God in a box and kind of live your life from that box. You want him, like my friend Jackie, you, you want to give God room. He is, yeah. The other thing is we don't grieve well in our culture. We don't grieve well in the church. You need to grieve when there's something in your life that's not the way you wish it was and pour out your heart to a loving father who wants nothing more than to wrap you in his arms and weep with you over the, oh, sorry, over the fact that because of the fall, you're experiencing grief and pain and suffering. He cares. And yes, in an instant, there could be somebody he could send into your life. God is perfectly capable and able. And we have no idea why. That's not the case. And singleness, marriage, that's not going to be the only, only arena where we're going to experience these things. And so pour out your heart to him. Pour out your heart to him regularly and receive his love and his tenderness and his kindness to carry you and memorize John 15, 1 through 11 and fixate on verse 11 that says, I have told you these things that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full because some of the deep times of deepest joy in my life have been times of greatest grief. <laughs> and, you know, Larry Crabb, I think, makes a good point. If you haven't read anything of Larry Crabb's, I'd encourage you to do so. But uh, he said there's a difference between longing and demanding. Longing is you're wishing for things that aren't yet a reality. For example, being single and wishing you were married. That can be a longing, and that's completely legitimate, like Emily said. You take that to the Lord and you live. And that's a part of life, right? All of life is joy and suffering. It's a part of life. But where you get into trouble is where it becomes a demand, demandingness. That's sin. When you demand, God, you must give me a mate. That's demandingness, and that's sin. So... Okay, it's 12.30. I don't know if we need to shut down or go a couple more minutes. Uh, what's the...
Courtney, where are you? I She's right you there. What's, is, what's the... Should okay, we, one yeah. more question. We should. What's what's your recommendation for maintaining a strong relationship long distance? Well, we have done we are the experts. three three <laughs> year three years on different continents. So uh, we definitely have some thoughts on that. Well, the middle year we were both in Africa, but we well, might as well have been on that the, was even on different continents. Yeah. And that was before the internet. So to send a letter, the fastest way to send a letter would be to send it with someone going back to the U.S. who could then send it to the other person. And phones didn't really work either because where, like, where I lived up in Vanjima, they had there was repeater stations. There's like five of them between them and the coast, and that meant they all had to be working the same time for the phone call to go through. So over a two-year period, I talked to her twice for five minutes each, and that was it and then wrote letters. But anyway. We had one external telecommunication tower in Nigeria, and it burned down. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, um, I, I've heard the craziest things. I heard like somebody says, well, well I'm not, we're not going to pursue any kind of relationship because they're going to be gone for several months. And so what's, what's you know, what, why do that? I'm like, well, obviously, there's no depth in that relationship. I mean, if you love somebody and they love you, What's a few years? I mean, come on. Uh, you know, and so, uh, like I said, we were apart for three years. We wrote letters. And let me tell you, don't undersell writing letters, even today. We also sent, back then it was cassette tapes. We sent each other <laughs> tape-recorded tapes that we could listen to. But, you know, honestly, um, I didn't fixate on Emily while I was gone because I felt like the Lord wanted me to give attention to the ministry I was doing. Now, that didn't mean that, you know, I didn't think of her every now and then, but it wasn't like I would, it would consume my life. My, I, I, was, I was present where I was at in ministry and knew that this was something and possibly that's going to play out in the future, but it wasn't now. And so I paid attention to what was now, now. Be creative. Our son has a friend um, <clears throat> that I knew as a kid, and this is, I thought, this is so awesome. Zoom is your friend. So uh, he, uh, he orders a Lego set for his girlfriend off of Amazon. It gets delivered to her. He gets the same Lego set, and on Zoom, they assemble their Lego sets. She likes Legos, he likes Legos. Our son did that. His first date with his girl, current girlfriend was, they went to Walmart, bought a Lego set, came back and uh, were putting it together. And his roommates were like, oh, does she have friends like that? <laughs> you know, do things that are creative. Uh, you know, you can watch a movie together now. I, I don't know. You can listen to a talk. You can discuss it. Do creative things. So, so our youngest son went on a one-link trip this year and he has a girlfriend and our one link policy is you can't talk to your girlfriend over the summer and so somebody had given him this this advice and he thought oh this is great and so what he did is he got a journal and he wrote this journal like he was telling her what was going on each day and so then at the end of the summer he had a journal of all his stuff and then he gave it to her and then she could read it and kind of 
And she did the same for him of her summer. And I thought that was very creative. And they've been dating for about two and a half years. So they're not like a newly, new, newly, new thing or whatever. And so she's like, I'm not going to sit at home in Toledo, Ohio and pine away. So she went to Colorado and was involved in a leadership training program all summer long. And uh, so she had things going on in her own life. Yeah. And uh, yeah, don't, don't put your life on hold while there's the distance thing going on. The, but the other thing you want to make sure of is, do you both have community that you're connected to? Because just because it's long distance, what is, do you both have community? And make sure that your depth of communication, if we were together in the same room, would we be communicating at this level of depth? Like, would we be talking on the phone until we fall asleep? Hopefully not. That integrity thing. Don't, uh, don't be somebody long distance that you wouldn't be if you were in the same room. Well, one last caveat on this whole business of long-distance relationship. Uh, somewhere along the course of our relationship, and I think it was even before we, we were on different continents, yeah. I realized, you know, this relationship, I need to, if this is the relationship, I need to hold it with an open hand. And I just need to, if, 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 if it's going to come about and God is in it, then it'll happen. And if not, then if I try to if I try to grasp that, what happens to that relationship? Gets crushed, right? So if I try to control it, if I try to grasp it, it's going to get crushed. But if I hold it with an open hand and I hold it with trust and faith, then either God's going to remove it or it's going to continue, and I'm I'm fine with either outcome. Because what I really want is God's will, not my will. I think somebody said that right before they went to the cross. All right, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Uh, we do. I just pray for everybody here, Lord, that um, you just uh, give them a peace at the gift that they have received currently. And Lord, uh, if it so happens that they're in a relationship, that it would be one that would be godly. Uh, marked by holiness and integrity and unselfishness. And uh, if it isn't, then they might think about if they should continue in that relationship. Lord, I pray that uh, if they're not in a relationship, but they really wish they were, Lord, uh, I pray your will would be done, uh, whatever that is, and that you would give them the peace and the strength to walk through life as you had given it to them today and not have them demand for, your, for a particular outcome they want, but rather trust you the outcome you're going to have in their lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Sorry if we didn't get to your question, but good question. But you can, we're here. Yeah, right. And you, you don't have to tell us what your question was. You can still maintain question anonymity, which is so important. <laughs> Thanks so much, you guys. Another creative idea. Ask me what she did. Yes, please.